evening, everyone. Welcome back to church this evening for um, second day of revival. We're definitely thankful for um, Brother Taylor and his family coming and presenting the word. And how many went home last night and read their Bible? I certainly did. After that, I was like, man, I do. I got to get more into the word. It was great. It was good. Really appreciated it, Brother Taylor. All right, if everyone go ahead and please stand. We'll jump right into the worship part of the service with At Calvary. Please join as we sing. Years I spent in penitence. guess what? Jesus is just as much risen today as he was the day that he rose. He lives today. Let's sing Christ the Lord is risen today. Christ the Lord is risen says there's none other name under heaven 
given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus. You know what? There's something about that name. Jesus, like the 
Amen. How many is uh, thankful for the name of Jesus tonight? And as some of the old songs says, life is filled with swift transitions, but aren't you thankful though uh, things change and circumstances changes and people change, uh, Jesus never changes. Amen. And when you build your life upon Him, uh, you have a sure foundation. So that's what we're here for this week, is to point our attention uh, back to Him this week. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17 tonight. 1 Kings uh, chapter 17 in the Old Testament. And I sure appreciate you being here on a Monday night of our revival here for the next couple of days. And uh, it, we're used to being in church on Sunday, and we're used to being in church on Wednesday, but Monday and Tuesday, we feel a little bit awkward to come to church and to be here, and it takes a little bit more effort to come. And so I appreciate you being here in your place, and trust that the Lord, once again, uh, will use His Word in your life again tonight. And uh, just a little while ago, my wife and I went over a few towns over and met with some friends and had dinner there. And the waiter apparently got into uh, something he shouldn't have got into before work, and he was a little bit impaired. And so in the middle of our dinner, they had to let him go, replace him with another waiter. And so we run a little bit behind, so that's why I don't have a towel on tonight. So I hope that doesn't uh, offend too many people here tonight, so bear with me. I apologize. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 17 tonight, just an encouraging message. You say, I didn't know evangelists had encouraging messages. I have one, and this is it. And I'm glad you came to, no, just kidding, but I'm glad that you're here tonight. I trust that you had a good day and that you uh, took some time to meditate on what we heard from God's Word yesterday. We talked about uh, losing our cutting edge in the morning uh, service and what to do to restore that. Uh, last night we talked about Psalm 1, getting the world out of our life and putting the Word of God back into our life. And I hope at some point today you spent time with God in His Word and saying, Lord, speak to me and give me a hunger and an appetite uh, for Your Word. And I trust that will be a help to you. And trust tonight will be a help to us as well. One of my favorite aspects, let me say this as well. If you're a visitor here, it looks like a few new faces here tonight that I didn't see yesterday. Uh, thank you for being here tonight as a visitor. And trust you received a, a warm handshake or a elbow, whatever we're doing this week, and that you felt right at home. So thank you for being here with us tonight. One of my favorite aspects of the Bible is to find uh, two chapters in the Word of God that stand side by side, and there's an apparent and even obvious and, uh, I believe, intentional parallels between those two passages being a side by side. Uh, I think of John chapter 3 and 4, and I preach on John chapter 4, the woman at the well. I open up with these contrasts, and I say, uh, John chapter 3 deals with a man, uh, John chapter 4 deals with a woman. Uh, John chapter 3, the meeting with Jesus, takes place in the middle of the night. John chapter 4, the meeting with Jesus, takes place in the middle of the day. And I draw out those contrasts to drive home a point. I think there's another great one in Joshua chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 7. Uh, Joshua 6 is the story of the battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. That's a chapter of great victory. Chapter 7 is the story of Achan and that is a chapter of great defeat. And I make applications of those two chapters being side by side. There's some chapters like that throughout the Word of God. Would you agree with that? And tonight I want to show you one of those. I believe it's obvious and, and intentional here tonight as well. And I want to make a, just a, a, a point about that as we jump into our message tonight. First Kings chapter 17, verse number 1, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be do nor reign these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Father, would you help us tonight? And Lord, I know that these folks did not come out on a Monday night to hear from me. Lord, they came to hear from you tonight, and I pray that's the voice that they would hear. Lord, would you challenge us tonight, encourage your hearts, and, and Lord, through the course of the message and the truths that we'll experience from this passage, would you help turn our eyes back to you? And Lord, we're living in an ever-changing world and, and so much confusion going on today. Lord, we need to get our eyes and our focus and our attention back to you and your character and who you are and how you work. 
And so, Lord, use these truths in a powerful way in our lives tonight. If there's one among us tonight that's lost and on their way to a hot burning hell, Lord, I pray they come to Jesus tonight before it's too late and be saved and forgiven of their sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I think of Elijah, my mind automatically goes to 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah's on Mount Carmel and he calls down fire from heaven. How many would agree that's probably the most famous story and event in Elijah's life? But I'd like to submit to you uh, that God did a great work through his life on that day. Would you agree with that? But I want to propose to you tonight that the great work that God did through Elijah at, at, at Carmel was a result of the great work God did in Elijah at Cherith. In fact, F.B. Meyer put it this way. He said, a Cherith always leads to a Carmel. In other words, God works in a man before he works through a man. I said, God works in a man before he works through a man. How many know somebody in your life, somebody in your mind right now, you say it may be a man, it may be a woman, but you say, boy, Brother Taylor, God really uses their life and God really works through them. You know somebody like that? Can I say whoever you're thinking about, that man, that woman, that individual did not just stumble in off the street one day and God started using their life. There was a process that took place to get them to a place that God could use their life. And if God's going to use your life and if God's going to use my life, that same process has to take place as well. I can almost imagine as uh, Elijah, in, in, in fact, let me say this, Cherith means to be cut off, it means to be cut down. It was a place of isolation, a place of separation. And before Elijah could stand at Carmel, he had to learn to sit at Cherith. And I can almost imagine in the later years of his life, I, we know he got called up in the whirlwind, but in the later years of his life, he could look back on those days at Cherith, and I can almost hear him say, as older preachers begin to reminisce sometimes, I can almost hear him say something like this, boy, those were long days and those were hard days and, and those were trying days but boy those were precious days and I cherish those days because the what the work that God did in me at Cherith resulted in the work that God did through me at Carmel tonight I'm going to preach on this subject cherish your Cherith cherish your Cherith if Elijah was here tonight I'd ask him so why did you cherish those days at the brook Cherith. I think he would say this, number one, based on our text tonight. Number one, he would say, because it was a place of protection. It was a place of protection. Notice number one, the Bible says this in verse one, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was in the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according uh, to my word. Elijah comes on the scene about 60 years after the tragic split of the northern and the southern kingdom. At one time, you remember Israel was the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and then Solomon. But under Solomon, the thing began to fall apart. You remember the Bible says that Solomon got involved with a bunch of women he shouldn't have been involved with. And the Bible says those women turned his heart away from God. Hey, you be careful getting yoked up with the wrong crowd. You get yoked up with the wrong people, they'll turn your heart away from God. And so they turned his heart away from God. Eventually his son Rehoboam took over. And you remember Rehoboam didn't take counsel from the older men. He listened to the young men. And the young men said be hard on the people. And so he began to be hard on the people. And the people said we've had enough of this. And so ten of the twelve tribes revolted. They went north. They formed the northern kingdom. We call that Israel. Two of the twelve tribes stayed with Rehoboam. And then south they formed the southern kingdom. We call that Judah. When you study Israel's history... Uh, all throughout their history, they had 19 kings, and all 19 were wicked, ungodly, sinful men. In our text tonight, Ahab is the king that is ruling, and he was number seven on the list of 19. The Bible says of Ahab's daddy, Omri, who ruled before him, that Omri was more wicked and outsinned all the other kings before him. But when Ahab took over, the Bible says that Ahab was more wicked than his daddy was. This is a dark time in the Word of God. The worst mistake of Ahab's life was marrying a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. And by the way, you marry the wrong woman and the wrong man, you'll rue that decision for the rest of your life. 
He marries that wicked woman, and the Bible says that she introduced Baal worship, B-A-A-L, false god worship, into Israel, and that thing spread like a wildfire. It was a violent religion. It was a vile religion. And many of God's prophets were hiding in caves for fear of their lives. This is one of the darkest chapters in all of Israel's history. In fact, one commentator put it this way. He said it looked as if Satan had transferred his residence from hell to earth as a dark time in God's Word. But all of a sudden, when it looks like it couldn't get any worse, in fact, there's an event that takes place at the end of chapter 16 that goes back to the walls of Jericho and the curse that God put in that chapter. You can study that out for yourself. But when that event and that act, that sinful act takes place at the end of chapter 16, it's almost like this thing is over. All hope is gone. That's the nail in the coffin. This thing is finished. All hope is gone. But notice the very first word of chapter 16. 17, please. It's the word and. It's almost like God was saying, listen, I know it's bad, and I know it's bleak, and I know things are, are, are desperate, but it's not over until I say it's over. Let me say this, it's not over until God says it's over. And so all of a sudden, in verse 1, like a lightning bolt, Elijah shows up on the scene. Now listen to me. And Elijah was a prophet, and a prophet, when, and somebody said it this way, whenever a prophet shows up in Scripture, it's an indication that things are going downhill spiritually, and that's certainly the case in this chapter. His job as a prophet was not necessarily to foretell as it was to, uh, to foretell. He didn't come necessarily to predict as he did to indict. He came to to point out their sin and to help them get back on track spiritually for God. And that's what he does in verse number 1. And notice the message he delivers in verse 1. He says, "Before the uh, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He says, Ahab, because of your sin and the sin of the land, there's not going to be any dew nor rain for the next three, three and a half years. Think about that. No dew and no rain meant no crops. And no crops meant people we're going to starve to death. Listen to me. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose the consequences of your sin. And so he delivers the message. He completes that assignment. And then the next assignment comes in verse number 2. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith. God says, Now that you've delivered the message, go and hide yourself by the brook. You say, Why was it necessary to hide himself there? When he delivered that message, he became number one on Ahab's hit list. He became number one on Ahab and Jezebel most wanted list in Israel. And so it was necessary to protect his life that he go and hide himself at the brook chair. Can I make just a simple bare bones application tonight? Did Elijah do what God wanted him to do? Did Ahab like it? You do the will of God for your life and not everybody's going to like it. You take a stand for God at work, not everybody's going to like it. You take a stand for God at school, not everybody's going to like it. You take a stand for God at home, not everybody's going to like it. You take a stand for God at church sometimes, and not everybody's going to like it. You say, what do you do in those hard, difficult times? You stand on in Jesus' name. And so he goes and he hides himself there. But it wasn't, it wasn't just a hiding place. It was also a humbling place. What I mean by that is delivering the message to the king, that was a high assignment. We understand that. But going and hiding yourself away from the public eye, away from the pants on the back, and to hide yourself and to trust God for your day-to-day -day provision, listen to me, that would have been a humbling assignment. One was a high assignment, and the other was a low assignment. But don't you appreciate the fact that he was willing to serve God wherever God sent him? Listen to me, I know a whole lot of folks, they'll serve God as long as it's a high assignment. We need someone to give a testimony, I'll do it. We need someone to sing a special, I'll do it. We need someone to preach, sign me up. We need someone to volunteer in the nursery tonight, crickets. We're having a work day. We need some volunteers. Crickets. We're going to go out and hang some just flyers on the door and try to invite our community to come to. Crickets. Everybody okay? This is a revival meeting, isn't it? Not Wednesday night Bible study. 
God give us some folks who will serve in the high places and will also equally serve in the low places as well because listen to me, it's not about you and it's not about me, it's about Him. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whether it's in the spotlight or whether it's in the shadows that no one else but you is going to know about, God, I'll be content to serve wherever you want me to serve. Well, I appreciate that about Elijah, don't you? And so he did adjust that. He served God. See, it was a hiding place to protect him from the enemy on the outside, but it was also a humbling place to protect him from the enemy on the inside, and that was his own pride. Listen to me. When he gets to the next chapter, God's going to exalt him, and God's going to use him. But before he gets there, God has to humble him. See, when God starts to use you, there's a danger. When God starts using you, you can be led to think that it's because of you. It's not because of you. It's God working through you. The Bible says God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace to the lowly. The Bible says that uh, humble yourself on the side of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Listen, God uses humble people. And God has a way of balancing life out for us, doesn't He? And, uh, boy, sometimes we get a little proud, but God has a way of bringing humility into our hearts and life. He's good about that, isn't He? And listen, that's for our own good. And you may at one time, you were going and blowing for God. And I was serving and I was doing this. And, and now it seems like God has kind of pulled me back and, and set me on the sidelines. Listen to me. Don't chafe against that. And don't fight against that. God's working in your life through that. You say, I don't understand it. Most of the time we don't. But you can trust me on this. God's working in our lives when He does that. Number one, it was a place of protection. But number two, Elijah, well, why did you cherish those days at Cherith? Well, not only was it a place of protection, it was say number two tonight, it was also a place of provision. It was also a place of provision. God was going to provide for Elijah's needs at, uh, needs at the brook Cherith. And he was going to do it through two ways. Number one, he was going to provide through the dirty birds. Through the dirty birds. You say, why do you call them the dirty birds? Because the ravens were ceremonially unclean birds. But that's what God used to provide for uh, Elijah at the brook Cherith. You say, what's the point? Sometimes God provides through sources that are not likely. Can I say this? And you understand when you do what I do, that's just the nature of the beast. When you live by faith, you just have a few more stories like this. You understand that. There's been times when my wife and I have walked away from a situation or a church or an individual and our jaws dropped as we looked back and thought to ourselves, I can't believe that God provided through that source right there. Sometimes His sources are surprising. And that's how God, that's how God provides. Let me also make this point real quick and just a, just a side uh, point right here. God's assignments come one at a time. The first assignment was go and deliver the message to the king. The second assignment was go and hide yourself at the brook. God's assignments come one at a time. Let me say this tonight. If you're confused about the will of God today, it may be that you didn't do the will of God yesterday. You know what I find this at? And I'm not picking on anybody. But I see this many times in young people that are in their early 20s. Listen to me, I know some people that are sitting in God's waiting room right now who want to know His will, who are pursuing His will and seeking His will, but he just, they just don't know what God wants them to do. That's a hard place to be in, isn't it? But I know other people in their early 20s, it seems like not picking on anybody, but they've done change their major at the community college 15 different times. They've been a barista at every Starbucks in the county. Come on now. And they don't know which way is up and down spiritually. They don't know what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to go. And many of them are confused about the will of God at 19, 20, 21 because they weren't serious about the will of God at 16, 17, and 18. If we're confused about the will of God today, it may be that we did not do the will of God yesterday. There's also a key word in this passage, and it's the word there. There, there. And here, back to the ravens, God says, I'm going to send the ravens, and I want you to see this in verse 4, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. In other words, he says, Elijah, the ravens are going to Cherith. Now, if he would have skipped out on Cherith and gone to Zarephath, that's where he goes next in the passage, the, the ravens were not going to Zarephath, the ravens were going to Cherith. And if he would have skipped out on Cherith, he would have missed out on God's provision. 
Several years ago, we had a revival meeting booked, and it got can- well, it didn't get canceled. I got canceled. And uh, if you and this is just we were just starting to get going, kind of. And and if someone cancels on a Sunday or Wednesday, that's not a big deal. You can try to fill those in. But when someone cancels you for a whole week, and you're left trying to fill Sunday morning and a Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I hate calling anybody. You understand? So I, I'm trying to call, and I hate doing that. But I'm trying to get in somewhere, and I cannot get that week filled for anything. Finally, I called a buddy of mine down south. I told him what had happened. He said, just come here. We'll put you up for the week, and, and you can help us out. I said, okay. Well, we finished up a revival meeting on a, on a Friday night. We left the hotel on a Saturday morning. I packed our things up in our Suburban and headed on the interstate. And as soon as I got on the interstate, all of a sudden the check engine light came on, and, and it started shifting funny. I said, this is not good. We got to my buddy's church, and as soon as I got out, I got there. I said, hey, and he's my friend. I said, I preacher, I said, I got to get the, uh, my suburban into the shop on Monday morning just in case there's something uh, serious. But I said, we'll help you out any way that we can. I just got to make sure I get that done on Monday morning. He said, okay, no problem. Well, I preached across town on Sunday morning. I preached for him on Sunday night. And afterwards, a man came up to me in his church. His, his name is Ryan. And he came up to me and said, Brother Taylor, how's that suburban treating you? I said, Brother, it has been, and that church had helped us raise a little money so we could travel with that. And I said, man, it's been perfect for us on the road. It's been exactly what we needed. And it's been wonderful. And just because it was on my heart and mind, I said, well, until we were on our way here, that engine light came on, so i got to get it checked out. And he stopped and he looked at me. And he says, Brother Taylor, whatever is wrong with it, we'll take care of it. He says, you tell the pastor. He turned around and walked off. And I turned to my wife and I said, I'm not telling the pastor anything. And I said, it was just on the heart of my mind. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to say it. I wasn't trying to do anything like that. And I said, I'm not going to tell him anything. Listen, we believe in missionaries, not missionaries. Amen. And so I said, I'm not telling him anything. And so afterwards, we went out with the pastor. Again, he's my friend. And, and we had dinner that night. And afterwards, he slid a piece of paper across the table. And I said, what is this? He said, oh, it's Ryan's phone number. I said, what for? He said, he talked to me. I said, stop out there, pastor. I went all the way back. I said, I was not trying to set him up. He says, I know. He was setting you up. I said, excuse me? He said, that's his ministry. Let him be a blessing. Well, what are you going to do then? So Monday morning, took the Suburban into the shop and dropped it off. That afternoon, I was in, the pa- in that pastor's office and the phone rang. It was a mechanic and the pastor talked to him. And I could tell by the, throughout the course of the conversation, the pastor's countenance began to drop. I knew it was not good. He finally hung up the phone and he looked at me and said, Brother Taylor, i got some bad news. He said, your transmission is shot. You're going to bring in a brand new one. It's going to be $7,000. I bet fell out of the chair. He says, but I got good news. I said, what's the good news, preacher? He said, they can put a rebuilt transmission with a $100,000 warranty in for $3,500 cash. I thought to myself, it might as well be $7,000 as far as I'm concerned. But may I say, before I had time to lose sleep over it, before I had time to a toss and turn, before I could have a panic attack over it, God raised up that church and Ryan together, they put $3,500 cash on the table. By Friday, that suburban came out with a rebuilt transmission and a 100,000 mile warranty. And may I say this, I'm not trying to sound spiritual. I was ticked off I had to be there in the first place, but had I not been there, had I not been there, had I not been there, I would have missed out on the miraculous provision of God. Can I say tonight, and I hope I get a few amens on this, it's good to be there. I said it's good to be there. If I was not there tonight, I'd do everything I could to get there. And if I was there tonight, I'd do everything I could to stay there. It's good to be in the center of God's will. You say, Brother Titus, don't think God's working in my life in a wonderful, miraculous way. Well, maybe you're not there in His will tonight. So let me ask you, are you there? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you being the person God wants you to be? Are you there? It's good to be there. God provides through sources. Hey, thank God for the ravens. Hey, you've experienced the ravens. I've experienced the ravens. God provides through sources that are not likely. But we also learn a lesson from the drying brook. And the drying brook teaches this. God provides through sources that are not lasting. God provides through sources that are not lasting. Notice the Bible says in verse 7, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. 
Remember, there's a drought in the land because of the sin. And I can just imagine when Elijah got there, when he first got there, the, the water in that brook was streaming, and I'm sure it was peaceful. He enjoyed listening to that brook. But every day that he woke up, the water level got a little bit lower and a little bit lower and a little bit lower until one day he woke up and the water was gone. Can I say tonight, brooks dry up. Finances dry up. Jobs dry up. Friendships dry up. F.B. Meyer asked the question, why does God allow the brooks to dry up in our lives? And he went on to answer it, so that we would not rely on God's gifts, but on God Himself. Sometimes, if you have a resource in your life that is drying up, listen to me, He's just changing sources. I've come to tell you tonight that you can trust Him. You can trust Him tonight. Brooks dry up, but God's power never does. His plan never does. His provision never... Am I preaching to somebody tonight? You can trust Him. Can I, can I just minister to some of you here tonight? Could that be okay? I'm, I'm not your pastor. I'm just your friend. Some of you get into a place in your life, and I'm looking at some older folks in here tonight. You're starting to get to a place in your life. You're beginning to think to yourself, well, what about my health? What about my finances? Who's going to take care of me? Can I say to you tonight as your friend, the God who met your needs in your 40s, and the God who stood by you in your 50s, and the God who met your needs in your 60s is going to be there for you in your 70s, in your 80s, in your 90s until God takes you home and one day you're going to look back and say He was there all along. Listen to me. You can trust Him. When one source dries up, He's simply changing sources. Listen to me. You don't ever learn to trust God until you're put in that position. I don't like being there. Listen to me. It's not fun when your transmission goes out. I don't like to be there. But I like when it's all said and done. You'll never learn. I will never learn to trust God until God puts me in those positions where my back is up against the wall and I have nowhere else to turn but Him. And He'll see to it that you get put in those positions from time to time. Look, and everybody likes war stories, but nobody likes to go to war. That's the only way we learn to trust God. Listen, I don't like it and you don't like it. I know that. But when He puts us there, He's teaching us, I'm going to teach you to trust in Me. It's one thing to learn from a book and to hear stories from other preachers that come through that God can provide, but it's a whole other thing to know that God will provide for you because you've experienced yourself. Number one, it was a place of protection. Number two, it was a place of provision. He would say, that's where I learned to trust God. But last thing, number three, it was a place of preparation as well. It was a place of preparation as well. God not only met Elijah's physical and material needs at Cherith, He also met Elijah's spiritual needs as well. A Cherith provided Elijah for an excellent place of solitude. Think about it. There was no people there. There was no interruptions there. There was no distractions there. It was just him and God. And so day by day and day after day, he had time to meditate. He had time to pray. He had time to draw close and cultivate a close relationship with God. And can I say, he's not the only one throughout the Word of God who had his own Brooke Cherith experience like that. Many men and women that God used in a great way had their own Brooke Cherith in their life. I think Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert to become equipped to lead Israel out of Egypt. David spent much time alone in the wilderness with his sheep, but it was a profitable time for he learned lessons in that solitude which made him the great man that he was. John the Baptist spent much of his time alone in the wilderness before he became the herald of Jesus Christ. Paul spent some time alone in Arabia before getting started in his missionary work. And John the Apostle was secluded on the Isle of Patmos, but out of that seclusion came the great book of Revelation. Can I say tonight, the reason that some of you will never reach your full potential for God is because you don't know how to turn the television off. The reason some of you will never reach your full potential for God and experience all that God has for you is because you don't know how to turn this device off. 
I'm not saying that you need months and years of solitude. I'm not saying that. But I am saying every day you need a time of solitude. And every day you turn off the noise and the distractions of your life and you get in a place in your own little brook cherith in your home or in the cab of your pickup or in the backyard and you open up the Word of God and you allow God to speak to you and you in prayer speak back to God and listen to me, little by little, God begins to chisel more and more of you away so that more and more of Jesus can shine through in your life. God works in a man uh, before He works through a man. Can you see how God was working in Elijah? You say, Brother Taylor, I feel like I'm there tonight. I feel like I'm, my back is up against the wall. I, I'm being forced to trust God for something I've never had to trust Him before. I've been put in a place where I just feel like God has humbled me and maybe put me on the sidelines and, and kind of set me aside for, uh, for, a, for, a, for, a, for a time. I just feel uh, God has put me there tonight. Listen to me. God's working in your life. And the worst thing you can do is resist that. But the best thing you can do is submit to that and say, Lord, I don't want to fight against you. I want you to have your way in my life tonight. Whatever you're trying to teach me, Lord, help me to, help me to learn that. Whatever you're trying to change in me, Lord, change it in me. When you open up in verse number 1 of this chapter, he's known just as Elijah the Tishbite. That was his title. That was his name. Elijah the Tishbite. But when you come to the very last verse of the chapter, verse number 24, he's called Elijah the man of God. Listen to me. There are some changes that took place in Elijah's life in this chapter. But he wasn't there forever. Eventually, when God was done with him there, the next assignment came. He goes to Zarephath. After spending time in Zarephath, he finally ends up in chapter 18. And there in chapter 18, the fire falls in his life, and God uses him in an extraordinary way. But you can mark it down. It was true for Elijah. It's true for me. It's true for everyone here. God works in a man before he works through a man. Father, we love you tonight. And Lord, from time to time, you bring us to our own brook, Cherith. But Lord, if we would learn to trust you and not resist you and submit to your working in our life, Lord, we can be assured there's a chapter 18 and there's a Carmel in the very next chapter. If you're here tonight and say, Brother Taylor, would you pray for me? I feel like I'm just in a place in my life where I'm forced to trust the Lord. And right now, I'm struggling with that. And I'm having a hard time with that. But tonight, I was reminded from the Word of God that I just simply need to trust Him. How many would raise your hand tonight and say, That's me, Brother Taylor. I just need to trust Him. I don't understand it. I've got more questions than answers, but I just need to trust Him. Friend, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Trust God. Let me ask you another question tonight. Are you there? Are you there tonight? Are you there in His will? Oh, Brother Taylor, I used to be. There was a time when I was. But I got away from there. And I'm not there anymore. But tonight, God spoke to my heart. And more than anything, I want to get back to there. Wherever there is for you, that's where I want to be. I want to be in God's will. I want to get back to doing what I ought to be doing and being who I ought to be. I need to get back there. If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? Preacher, that's me. That's me. Yes, yes, yes. Can I say this? Before you can live for the Lord, before God can begin to work in your life, the first step is to have a personal relationship with God, and that takes place through Jesus Christ. In order to get to the Father, you have to go through the Son. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, uh, to the Father, except by me. The Bible says that Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're here tonight and say, Brother Taylor, I don't think I've ever taken that first step to begin a relationship with God. I'm not sure that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm not sure that my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure about that, Brother Taylor. Would you pray for me? I know I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift up your hand high enough that I can see it? Put it right back down. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I'm concerned about my soul tonight. If that's you, would you raise your hand high enough that I can see it and put it right back down, please? Anyone like that at all? Lord, you're working in this place and you're working in our hearts tonight. Help us to respond and do what you've told us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet tonight as the piano begins to play. And every head bowed and every eye closed. If God spoke to your heart, won't you respond? Won't you respond tonight and get honest and transparent with Him? And say, Lord, you know where I'm at. And Lord, you know I have some needs in my life. And Lord, there's a lot of unknowns in our life. But although we don't know, you do know. And we can rest in that. And Lord, right now we have to wait on you. And Lord, right now we have to trust in you. But we know that you will provide. And we know that you'll take care of us. And we know that you'll give us what we need when we need it. Lord, we don't want to get in a hurry. We don't want to rush and lean on our own understanding. But Lord, we need you. Lord, whatever you're trying to do in our lives as individuals, in the life of our church, Lord, help us not resist that. Lord, help us to submit to that. These altars are open if you'd like to come. Won't you come tonight? If you're here without Jesus Christ, we'd love to sit down and show you from the Bible how you can begin a relationship with Jesus tonight. You don't have to be saved right here in this auditorium. You don't have to walk down an aisle tonight. I'd be glad anybody here would love to sit after the a service with you. We can sit down in the lobby. We can sit here with others and show you from the Bible how to be saved. If you're here without Jesus, don't leave without Him tonight. Let us show you how you can begin that journey and that relationship. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you that you provide. Thank you that you have a plan. Thank you that you do have the answers. Tonight we commit to trust in you. And we commit to wait on you. We know that you'll provide what we need. In Jesus' name. Taylor. You may be seated. At this time, we'd like to go ahead and have uh, have some men come on come on up, and we'll just like last night, we're gonna go ahead and take uh, an offering for uh, Taylor Gillespie and his family. Uh, again, everything that's given tonight, as well as uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, will go directly to his family and uh, the ministry there. So, uh, John, if y'all want to go ahead, we'll, after we do that, we'll go ahead and sing our song and close in a word of prayer.
announcement for tomorrow. Tomorrow dinner here at 6 o'clock, uh, right in the back. All righty. So at the very least, you need to be here. And then and there will be chili, and you can, again, feel free to, to bring your own uh, your own chili as well, and we'll all we'll all try it. We'll all just have a uh, chili cook-off or something like that. Um, now go ahead and you can uh, come at six, and then seven again is the uh, service. Uh, but yes, tomorrow six o'clock, uh, chili. Come on in. It'll be a wonderful time of food right before the preaching. Uh, we won't fall asleep. Promise. Promise. All right, let's go ahead and sing our final song uh, before we close in a word of prayer. So everyone go ahead and stand. We'll sing, pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed for His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed His child and forever I am Thank you. Yes, Brother Taylor, if you and your family want to head on back, folks can uh, greet you on their way. And Brother Stephen, you want to close us.